Hello listeners. Welcome to Around Startup podcast. In this podcast, I have with me Karthik Reddy. Karthik is co-founder and general partner at Bloom Ventures. Bloom Ventures is one of the early stage investment company based out of Bombay, but they operate across India. Karthik, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, I'll start with my first question like what is the story behind Bloom Ventures? I asked the same with Sanjay. So Bloom started as um, an idea to fill the gap between angels and series A VCs. So if you look at the environment back in 2010-11, there were very few institutionalized providers of capital between you know the angel investors who typically put 20 to 50 thousand dollars, and the series A VCs who were designed to play typically two, three, four, five million dollars. So our uh, thought process was that there was room for institutionalized capital, which could try to bring some semblance of discipline and prepare a company for a Series A, a path to Series A, an eventual scaling opportunity by using network effects of doing this full time as opposed to angels who, who mean well, but don't do this full time and therefore have sort of limited value in, or limited time to be able to give to startups. And that was always the passion for Bloom, that we as institutional investors will be able to do a lot more for startups as opposed to uh, uh, angels or VCs for companies at that stage. And, and I think that's what motivates us. And Sanjay and me had a similar uh, sort of passion to work with early stage companies and our paths met. And, Next thing we knew, uh, we were pitching for this fund so that we can get it off the ground. You recently raised a new fund. What area, like, do you have a specific areas in mind where you are going to put your funding on, like, on the startups? So I think um, we are a five, five-year-old fund now. And we did... Uh, a lot of stuff in fund one so a lot of lot of bets a lot of areas uh, some of them concentrated in subsectors so like travel media and ag tech so what we what what the first fund thought is is you know that we uh, like diversity we think there's a lot of innovation in multiple areas so we thought fixated on whether we should be consumer or B2B, we think there should be a fair blend of the two. And so historically, we've been that kind of a fund. So we've said this in public, but in the first fund, we were approximately 50% consumer, 50% B2B, B2SME. We were almost 50% global market, regional market facing opportunities, not simply catering only to the Indian market. And um, we had a good chunk of 25% of our companies uh, being non-internet mobile companies. Some of them were in consumer brands and some were in uh, much deeper technologies like robotics, manufacturing, life sciences, clean tech. So I think the experiments taught us a lot. You know? So we never risked too much capital that you know we were betting the house on any particular area. But on the other hand, we learned the challenges in various areas. So the big shifts, I think, where I'm going with this is all our learnings have come from fund one and that directs our uh, 
uh, passion for you know the companies we like the sectors we like and that's what's dictating our allocation for fund two so in a nutshell fund two is going to look somewhat like fund one i think there will be a mix of global facing cutting edge enterprise or alternative technology companies not just in software but also in hardware iot life sciences robotics perhaps and similarly on the domestic consumption side we are a big believer that mobile is a game changer and we don't think it's consumers alone but small businesses which act as savvily as consumers who are going to sit on the other side of marketplaces and therefore we will have a lot of two-sided markets marketplaces where you have consumers and small businesses sort of intermingling with each other so that's a big theme for fund too so i think we're catering to the new emerging mobile-led digital economy in the country and we still believe in Indian engineering capabilities to build world-class technology companies starting from India but then traversing the rest of the world. So I won't be able to tell you exactly what the final ratio would be but it'll be somewhere in the vicinity of 60-40 in one direction or the other. How big is your portfolio right now? Do you have exact numbers? The first fund was huge. I think uh, it's public knowledge that we had almost 70 bets in the first fund. And uh, the reason it was such a crazy number because almost 40 of them were what we called syndicate bets. So it was a strategy deliberately adopted to be able to play fifty to $100,000 checks a lot of the time and widen the portfolio and get to know a lot more companies, sectors, founders. And I think while the strategy has been a little suboptimal and we'll likely abandon it for fund two. It taught us a lot of things about all of those aspects. Founders, some sectors where there was more learning to be had before we could go deep uh, and broadly just enormous scale economies, right? So while we uh, uh, had the ability to play the option, we uh, didn't have to necessarily handhold the company because there was a bigger investor or a bigger group of investors than us in most of those companies. That strategy was great for fund one, but arguably a little challenging to scale in fund two. And so we are probably going to build a portfolio size, which is more of 35, 40 companies uh, in fund two. And we are almost uh, 10 companies in into fund two, about six or seven investors announced and invested already and some which are yet unannounced. So I don't think you should club the whole lot because first fund is vintages 2011, 12, 13 mostly. We have a handful in 14, 15, and then most of the fund too is really picked up in the last six to seven months. So different bandwidth requirements, different vintage, different sort of uh, set of expectations and, and, and from both the founders and what we can do for them. So. I would say 70-ish fund one and uh, up to almost 10 in fund two. And uh, some winners from fund one? I think there'll be a lot. I think uh, the early winners and we have to give credit to the companies which have returned at least a capital back or a much larger multiple of that. Uh, so the early big winners slash exits which have given back cash are Taxi for sure, uh, which exited to Ola, Twitter, bought Sibdial, which was the other exit, and uh, Promtech, our LED tech company, got acquired by Havels. Then there were also, interestingly, uh, two companies now that have been acquired by Freshdesk and one by Boku. These were CubeCell by Boku and Framebench and one click by Freshdesk. 
these are happy outcomes, right? The founder is happy that he's returned the capital to the investors, found a good home. Uh, they seem to be happy in their homes or with the outcome of an outright acquisition, as in the case of TFS. Uh, and so these are these are great stories. I mean, we didn't honestly expect some of these to happen as early as within the fourth or fifth year of the fund. Um, on the things which are looking fantastic in terms of uh, their growth stories, some funded, some not funded, but still getting there, uh, Grey Orange, Zopper, Purple, Instamojo, Now Floats, ThreadSol, CCS, Carbon Clean Solutions, um, Hotel Logics, Mobstack. So there's, there's no shortage of companies. I don't know which might be the massive outsized outcomes. Uh, Grey Orange and Zopper definitely have a lead on that in terms of, you know, at least value on our books. But I think there's a lot more to come. I mean, I had a fantastic meeting with Exotel today. I think they're doing great guns. So I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised by some of the, you know, the relatively uh, uh, unnoticed B2B, uh, you know, players which haven't gotten all the respect that they should. But I think they're going to break out this year or next year. It's been told that there is a, you know, cash crunch in the market, like companies are not able to raise Series B, Series C. It's very difficult. What's your take on that? Is it really happening? I think the late stage market was the one that expanded the most in 2014-15, right? Almost, of course, in capital terms, enormously larger than how the seed market expanded. The A market has always been the bottleneck in the country. We don't have too many standalone dedicated A players. B and C was where people thought they have more comfort in the business model being more well established. And they also draw comfort from the fact that there is a local VC who already is large, can be trusted and sits on the company's cap table. So there used to be a surge of capital basis this comfort at series B and C. Clearly there was this little bit of a hot money flow which came from hedge funds and strategics who didn't want to miss the opportunity of potentially sitting on the market number one or number two in a particular subsector. So all this drove a lot of energy and enthusiasm into playing these companies for 18 months, right? Uh, Mid-2014 to late 2015. Now when People, when things take a little bit of a setback, and I think it's being led by global markets, a lot of these players have global setbacks as well. So they, unlike Indian VCs, are influenced, or India-centric VCs, are influenced by their portfolio movements and sentiment globally. So clearly they're going to focus on the uh, weight of their positions in the markets where lot, they have a lot more exposure. So do they worry if, let's say, a fund has uh, half, a, half a billion dollars of exposure in the United States and their entire exposure in India is $30 million, where should they be focusing on? Clearly the United States. So there's going to be a lot of funds which take a little step back to focus on their core markets today. And that is the, you know, sort of weakness of, of the Indian market. It's not well established through all round, all, all stages of the asset class. So when, when this situation arises, you are going to see some hot money withdrawal, or rather it's not really money withdrawal as much as interest withdrawal. And that means there's a lot more pressure on late stage companies to show either sustainability or positive unit economics, better unit economics, 
or the ability to build an outsized company. So it's not going to be as easy to be able to demonstrate that with the absence of all the, you know, hot players in the market. So that's what I think is happening. And uh, Karthik, Bloom be, uh, being a small fund and uh, mostly being in the early stage investment, Bloom as a company or you, did you ever feel that uh, problem of sitting on a cap table when a newer, bigger investor coming in the picture or founders reacting in a different manner? Well, it's a symbiotic relationship, right? So all of us have to coexist and this is not transactional. And yes, there have been a lot of learnings in the first five years because we are relatively new in a lot of these situations. Uh, founders invariably are first-time founders. So unless they're educated by somebody, they're going to go with the flow and their intuition at that point of time. So we've gotten better at this to manage expectations of what the founders would want from us, what we want from them, how to position ourselves better to incoming VCs. Uh, and given that we were a small fund in Fund 1, uh, the interests of the larger funds were far more material to the conversation than ours were. Now, as we've institutionalized ourselves in Fund 2, there can't be a different set of rules for uh, my LPs versus somebody else's LPs. But it was earlier, like in your first fund, there were no, other no. VCs coming in the picture and then trying to... No, I think uh, I think the expectation was not off by too much. So what I would say the only place where it really didn't work that well is where we played these optionality checks and therefore had much lesser stake than we would have wanted. So the intent was to play super pro rata in the next round. And sometimes because of everybody wanting the requisite stakes, you get squeezed out of your ability to play super pro rata. Also in those situations is when, in the good situations is when angels will put up their hand and also want to play their pro rata. So you get double whammyed, right? And then the founder will say, yeah, but like, you know, what do I do in this situation? I mean, do I try to cater to your interest or the primary interest is always of the business. So I think you need to rationalize that situation and say, what benefits the business the most? Because fundamentally, you want to look at it as shareholders. It's not about my position or somebody else's position. As shareholders, all of us have responsibility towards doing what's right for the company. And it's, you know, it's, it's an often used phrase and term, but how do you implement that in action? And invariably, we've done or what, what we think is the right thing for the company. And most founders should do that as well. So I don't think there's a right or wrong from an individual perspective. You do what you think is right for the company. Has there been some near misses, like some companies pitched you and you guys passed on and then they made it big? Um, you know, so in the first fund, it was almost very rare that because of the nature of the fund we were, I've told you about the syndicate strategy, it was very rare that we would just pass on something. Invariably, we would leave enough goodwill that we had a chance to play if the founder wanted us. So we came close to actually playing Ola, even before Taxi for sure. And uh, uh, someone in the team liked them and it didn't work out for whatever reason. Uh, we had a chance to look at Urban Ladder before it became very big, right? We uh, we met the founder, but we didn't know he was raising money. And then once he raised the money from Kalari, he really didn't need us. Then someone showed us Simply Learn. We 
did look at fresh test right but the point is all these companies when they get a much larger round our contribution was meaningless or the companies sometimes when they were looking for let's say a bridge and they got to say series a um, our contribution at best could have been say 200k so 200k at 10 12 million dollars we didn't think that's the kind of risk we either knew how to take or whether that contribution is actually ever meaningful so we would say this is just not us why are we forcing ourselves into these situations so some we i think missed because other rounds materialized for them and didn't make sense for us to be in those rounds that changes in fund 2 where if you really really like the founder like if you take the current case with chiller which sequoia helped us get into the ability to play closer to a million dollars makes your contribution even at a series a meaningful we didn't have that kind of money in fund 1 So in fund two, if I really think there's a very interesting company, there's one last check-in available for me, which is at Series A. And so you will see Bloom make about half a dozen of these tactical plays at Series A. But sometimes, if the company is already past us, there's no way you can get in. And at Seed, I think we're going to end up missing more and more companies. I mean, we have missed them for various reasons. Though we used to be very flexible, it doesn't necessarily work from a dilution perspective. there's a bigger vc invariably doesn't work if there wasn't a bigger vc in most cases we got in so i would like to tell little background of yours actually before bloom what were you doing uh, i know a little bit that you did your study you spent some time in us and all how did it help in building bloom ventures yeah, i think so a lot of the history uh, historical sort of context for me around venture capital got established when i was in the us so i landed there in 1999 to spending 3 years in american express in bombay and i thought i was going to go to business school which is where i was at wharton and said you know i'm going to just sharpen my finance skills i already have a degree in finance and i'm just, i'm going to go to wall street because that's what i was missing in india there wasn't a deep enough financial market and i wasn't able to exercise my skills in india um i landed up there and the first thing i hear in campus buzz is that some 60 70 people from the previous batch hadn't come back they just stayed back in silicon valley they opted out of the program so here was like a, a full blown launch into what was happening in the startup world there by december i was in seattle in silicon valley doing valley treks with a lot of my classmates uh four companies on average for like a week i must have met 28 30 companies i was in real player headquarters amazon headquarters everywhere so it was just a new perspective on the world which we didn't have access to though there were some so called internet startups back in 99 in india we were still dialing up and you know paying 32 rupees on a mobile phone and p cars uh and dialing up on a 56 kb dial up line that was not the internet i was exposed to back there so it was it was a revelation at one level and i think it fascinated me and i wanted to be at the helm of what can bring transformational change very very quickly leveraging technology so bizarrely i thought that was my future my calling right away i did my summer internship at a b2b automotive aftermarket place in fremont in 2000 but by then everything exploded 
So all my job interviews were going fine till like October, November, and then there was nothing there. So ironically, the only guys who were hiring were consultants and bankers. So I went to tech banking, but there was nothing to bank at all in 2001. So my stint in San Francisco was very short-lived. And then one thing led to another visa status. I went to a West East Coast startup then moved to a Reuters company in New York. And then basically when that company got sold to NASDAQ, I started thinking about moving to India. And the thought was, I was still 32 back then, and it felt like now's the time to invest in knowing what's going on in India. And I think the opportunities will present themselves. So it was a little bit of blind faith, came back exactly 10 years this month. Um, the first five years was, four years was spent, four and a half years was spent in brief stint in telecom media technology banking with a boutique called SSKI. And the rest was the Times Group. So with the Times Group, a lot of ideas were thrown around. Very little got done in terms of actual capital allocation. And my connection back to Mumbai Angels and exploring venture, corporate venturing, all happened while sitting in Times. So I got exposure and reconnect back to the Indian venture ecosystem, which was through its first five years of existence, 2006 to 2010. So I learned a lot about the market. And then finally, as I told you, one thing led to another. I started making some angel investments on my personal account, met Sanjay, realized that this is this big gap. And I said, I'd rather be doing that full time. And it wasn't easy because the math doesn't work out even at a 100 crore fund. It's tough. Uh, but he said, yeah, you want to be entrepreneurial. You're not going to get everything on day one. So it's going to be a five-year slog. Let's see if it works. And here we are. You're doing really, really great. I mean, nothing to say about that. So... I mean, how do you see the whole overall startup ecosystem now in India? How strong it is? How? Very nascent. I don't uh, think we should fool ourselves into believing that there's a lot of depth as yet. Um, people want to believe that we can play catch up with the rest of the world or more precisely the Valley because we're able to, in today's day and environment, with Twitter and TechCrunch and, and various blogs. We can relate to what they're building, how they're thinking, and we get that information real time, right? But I don't think that can change the fundamental DNA of an ecosystem. Uh, it can educate people, but our behaviors, our, our employee base, our, our resource base, our government regulations, our exit opportunities, all that will take time to mature. I mean, so think about this, right? A venture ecosystem is nothing without its ability to exit. Any investor who gives you capital expects it back. And therefore, if you've not finished a full exit cycle, which we haven't done yet, there's not much to, you know, tom-tom about. It's premature. Are we on the right path? I think yes. Are there going to be a lot of missteps and pitfalls? Of course there will be. I mean, we're trying to discover something which has arguably been non-existent in India. The notion of venture capital, the notion of taking equity risk, the notion of knowing that you will play and put money into somebody and not expect any capital back is venture capital. You tell that to an average Indian and he'll say, what kind of a Ponzi scheme is this? But the model works. I mean, 50 years, the value has shown that that's how you fund innovation. But until you finish a cycle and you see this at scale, you can't jump around and say, oh, we know how to do this. I think we're all learning. I think there's an acknowledgement of that across the ecosystem. I think the entrepreneurs also need to acknowledge that. 
right? You can't have, oh, I know how to build a company. Why the hell doesn't the venture capitalist get it? That's because nobody's proven the whole damn cycle for crying out loud. So how do you expect somebody to dole out money when they're being questioned by their investors? You haven't shown me the money, right? So it is that I think 10 years is too young an ecosystem to call established. The valley is where it is today after 50 years of work. Uh, I remember once Fred Wilson, and I think I used this example in my blog, Fred Wilson basically said, you know, we are in cycle three on the East Coast and the West Coast is on cycle seven. How can you compare us to the West Coast? And here we are using that one benchmark and trying to be them without having gone through the whole, all the hard work of learning what it takes to build a great venture ecosystem. And thanks to the information age, thanks to learning much faster, and thanks to most of those funds exporting best practices to India, because a lot of the funds in India are from the West Coast, I think the cycle will be much faster. But to say that we'll get there in less than 10 years from now is just very foolish and premature. So what prompted uh, Karthik Reddy blog? I, I see like after fun to announcement. It's, 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 it's more of a bloom blog. Uh, I had to take a little bit of initiative to get the entire team motivated and get on to the practice of writing. Uh, the two objectives. Uh, so it's been, a, it's been a little thorn in the flesh for like almost three, four years now that we need to be more vocal about why we do what we do. Uh, now, looking back, it would have been very premature if we had said that, because we were learning a lot. So you can put all your learnings out there real time, but it's much easier to do it if you've reflected on five years of work. So second, we didn't want, in fact, I've referen referenced some of those blogs to my the LPs I'm pitching to. So I don't want any marketing agenda to look different from how I project myself to the entrepreneurs. It's the same thing. So what is on my deck to my LPs is what's in the blogs, right? And so the messaging is the same. I'm telling my LPs the same thing as I'm telling my own potential future entrepreneurs or the Indian ecosystem. This is what Bloom stands for. This is how we look at models. This is what a portfolio construction will be. This is why you should come to a Bloom. So one is to be super transparent. Because if 3,000 people a year are applying to Bloom to see whether we will fund them, the 2,985 which don't get selected should know why they were not selected. It's difficult to give customized answers, but the framework that we offer allows them to rationalize it. Also, I'm hoping that it has nothing to do with Bloom. It helps them think through better on whether their business is venture fundable and whether they're applicable. So that was one part. The second part, which... Um, I'll be very honest about why we are actually, and which you've seen Adit do a couple of blogs and a couple are coming from Arpit, from Sanjay, from Sajid, everybody who leads investments in the firm, is our willingness and our ability to be able to defend the decisions we make and be public about those decisions and not hide behind the fact that if it doesn't work, we don't have to talk about it, right? So it's the equivalent of an equity research analyst putting out a rating on a stock the day he chooses to tell his potential you know, uh, investors, the investors who, are, who want to buy or sell the stock, on what his position is and what his justification is. So we're not doing some deep down analysis. The blog is just a first step to say that 
we this funding got announced this is a company of ours now and we are very proud to say why we invested in it and i think i'm constantly pushing my peers to be able to be as transparent and i'm telling the entrepreneurs that when you come to bloom this is how open we are about why we backed you right so i think i'm not i don't think it's a differentiator per se but i think the entrepreneurs tend to respect that you're willing to stand out for them and tomorrow it doesn't matter whether the company failed or not that blog is there permanently i'm not going to delete it right so you can go back and look at all the decisions that were made in bloom 2 and judge us 8 years or 10 years from now whether we were good or bad at our job that's the accountability that i want each of my team members to have to their lps which is my lps and so it's it's a it's a it's a new standard of sort of accountability and i'm forcing that discipline by taking the lead on it so this is just me seeding the blog i think there's a lot that's going to come from the team so it's going to be a rich year of content from blue that will be great for overall ecosystem in india i would say and i'm sure other venture capitalist firm will follow the same so what will be your advice to the budding entrepreneurs in india <laughs> i know you've been asked this question like no, a no, number of times no, it's too generic a question yeah. right so i think um, i have so i would like two macro advices right i think people should um, educate themselves on whether the business is whatever business they're trying to pursue is something that is venture fundable in that sense the venture bar is ridiculously high right in the sense that not that we are anything special it's just that our business model is a little screwed up you want outsized outcomes and you want them very 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 rapidly so there's no patience to wait for you know uh, 10 years and see a 100 crore outcome is that a bad thing to do no it's a phenomenal achievement right in in the past if you were an entrepreneur and you bootstrapped yourself to that people would garland you right and so there's no harm in that path it's just that it's not necessarily right for venture capital so a lot of people come and use venture capital as a common source of financing right so like how they would go to a bank for 2 crores they say i'm also saying i'll build a profitable business what's the problem give me 2 crores the model doesn't work so one i think is for them to before that and i'm only speaking from a vc perspective right um there is there are millions of entrepreneurs in this country and not more than a few hundred get funded by venture capital doesn't mean the other million should stop being entrepreneurs absolutely not so i'm saying they should learn the framework of venture and see whether one they fit into it or not so that they're not disappointed and we are nobody's wasting each other's time the second is if they're going down the venture path i think venture is not designed to be a financing mechanism for the sake of it is designed to disrupt either an existing way of working or to bring brand new innovations whose impact will not be known that is why it's highly risky right so when you bring those kind of propositions to me as a venture capitalist i want you not to see this as a as an entrepreneur i don't want you to see this as an opportunistic way of raising some capital it's not like the old purane zamane mein there used to be this notion of project plan banega acha in you know net cash flow looking good on this project let's go get financing for it there's no crime in it it's not that's not venture capital though venture capital is where 
arguably a lot of uncertainty exists even in your ability to project anything right and therefore when you have that level of uncertainty the founders should be what my favorite phrase is they should be obsessed about solving a problem because you don't know what the solution is how the hell are you going to project it on an excel spreadsheet right and so i don't think 80% of the people who pitch us still are passionate about solving a problem they think they want to crack a business they two different things i'm not interested in i have very little time on the planet i don't want to waste that trying to engage with being a source of random financing i am basically financing to me is a means of engaging with entrepreneurs who want to disrupt something change the way we live for the better and who are obsessed about solving that problem it takes 5 years it takes 8 years it takes 10 years time shouldn't be a constraint for that right and therefore if that's the kind of entrepreneurship that's presented to me then i want to engage otherwise i don't want to so i don't think the question is a generic one that relates to all entrepreneurship i think it has to be contextualized in the framework of how a vc thinks and so this is my framework might be different for a larger vc might be different for an angel investor it might be different for a bank how easily one can reach or a pitch to bloom it's becoming tougher here not that they can't reach i think we'll put a you know uh, an application form link or something on our website and and it's not a question of reaching the plan will can be sent and we get we get linkedin pings we get twitter pings uh, we haven't gone and locked up our linkedin accounts or anything like that people write into us all the time the problem is not going to get attention unless somebody who we know and we have a very large network so if you go and look at a collective linkedin a collective twitter coverage it's massive so if our world view has become a little that it has nothing to do with access to capital or bloom saying chalo paise main de diya i give you the capital you head to the market you try to build a business i don't think there are very few businesses that can be built all entirely in isolation right you need to build a very proficient network or you need to build all the right channels to take your product to market get to the next round of funding keep growing bring in great talent all of that in itself is the ability to build a great brand for your startup if you're not willing to make that effort to get the first check why should i believe that you will make that effort magically after you receive my money right so to me simply the probability of a company getting to be a multi hundred million dollar company which is the hope with which all of us play though it fails 9 out of 10 times is that the founder has the ability to scale massively i don't think that happens sitting isolated in a garage beyond a point you can build a great product but eventually you have to get out of the garage right and so i'm saying that if they're networked well enough to be able to access us through we know hundreds of people who we've co-invested with who are angel investors who are our founders there must be some way to access us so clearly i think people who are coming in through reference are getting preferential access to bloom i don't think that's going to change in the short term so uh, karthik when you mentioned this term scale fast it reminds me of this whole business model and the way things are going like 
we saw like a lot of hyper local companies shutting down their shops around and and a lot of vcs uh, you know acting as uh, gods on twitter and you know talking about how you should control your burn rate and uh, you know do not focus on gmv and what to do what not to do because because these were the same vcs who were talking about scale fast scale fast and now like as uh, we are seeing times are a little tougher market is not as favorable as it used to be they are talking about all these terms well, i think so it's difficult for the entrepreneur not to be influenced by the environment right so entrepreneurs do get carried away because either it has nothing to do with i mean yes you can be influenced by vcs as well but the best of the entrepreneurs know to ignore that noise there is always going to be pressure from your investors to do one thing or the other but the best of them know what advice to take and what to ignore right so yes you're right there have been phases where blind scalable growth was becoming more important but clearly one has taken the view uh both also because some of the western models are breaking down where rampant growth has happened without proper unit economics being achieved that in markets in tough times like this typically investors will ask the next round investors will ask hard questions about what are we putting more money into this for is this a sustainable end end state business model one can argue that yeah it might be get there in 4 5 years but who's going to find and find finance for five years more of burn right and so yes there are a few large companies which have enough reserves to do that but a mid sized company is not going to get that kind of benefit of doubt anymore so forget about the fact that the vc said one thing last quarter or the vc said one thing this quarter it's a very good reminder that entrepreneurs can't be building their businesses basis what either a vc says or believes in in the short of short Uh, you know in a very short sighted fashion or fundamentally that eventually unit economics will come and catch up with you so if you build a model where you are building crazy amount of burn rates and there's no distant possibility of you breaking even then you're playing a very dangerous game and yes there have been enough startups which have got burned by it good news my friend is that there are enough which haven't been burned by it and they're sustained themselves through this through this entire period because they've already established sustainable business models and revenue models so i think it goes both ways here i'm not i'm not that worried about short term blips in a very 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 long long term path so when when i spoke about venture having to take another cycle of 10 years to get there what is two quarters and and so entrepreneurs similarly can't take the pressures take the eye off the ball because they're getting external pressure uh and and lose the plot because they have to accelerate in one quarter or two quarters they have to fundamentally believe in their ability to build a sustainable business model over 10 years right if that was always the starting point and the ending point why are you getting straight in between so then if you say you, if you're going to blame it on the vcs then you're always going to get into trouble i think the entrepreneurs eventually have to have more conviction on their own business then what an investor tells them the businesses but wasn't the case like 6 month back like raising capital burning okay i've been fortunate or unfortunate not to be a part of this so i haven't the two companies which have raised the most money in my portfolio uh 
Taxi for sure is an exception. I was a very, very tiny investor as Bloom. But, um, and that, that situation did arise, that both, there were three competitors fighting to burn as much money as possible to keep winning the customer acquisition game. And eventually, investors realized this is not sustainable and merged two of them. But other than that, even in the consumer side, I've had my entrepreneurs not have the luxury of too much money and therefore build very, very sustainable business models. Even a Zopper, uh, so enterprise side have no complaints at all. Like Grey Orange has all the money that it's raised still in the bank, right? And so not a dollar spent. Uh, and and similarly, uh, a Zopper, you know, burn rates are so low that they can continue to survive for very, very long. So I think we've been lucky, unlucky in some sense, if there was a crazy play we missed out on and didn't get like a massive spike. But how does it matter? Until you get cash back in the bank, all these spikes are only on paper. Uh, so unlucky or lucky, we didn't have too many of these positions. So I, I really am not maybe an expert to judge, you know, why I founded it that I don't, I, none of my founders did it. Thanks, Karthik. Thanks for your uh, time. It was great talking to you. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Your suggestion will be a great help to me. Send me your feedbacks to my email atul at the rate around startups.com or alternatively via Twitter at around startups underscore. Let me repeat. It's at around startups underscore. I'm not done yet. You can also find us on Facebook, iTunes and SoundCloud as around startups. So what are you waiting for? Go follow us on all the social media channels and give us all your feedbacks.